Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Thank you for joining us in our study of the gospel according to Matthew. We'll be in Matthew chapter 13, and we'll be looking at the parables of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' parabolic ministry is quite possibly one of the most famous things about the way that he lived and taught. Um, a lot of people enjoy listening to the parables, but they can be hard to understand and interpret. And one of the reasons they can be so hard to wrap our minds around is because Jesus told parables on different occasions for different purposes. Sometimes he was trying to clarify. Sometimes he was trying to illustrate what he's saying with a real-life example, and the interpretation is pretty straightforward. Uh, sometimes, however, he wants to confuse his listeners, and we considered an example of that uh, last time. Other things that make parables tricky to interpret is that sometimes we just assume that we have the right identification of certain symbols, but then when we try to run it through, it just it doesn't really work. Or sometimes when we're listening to a parable, we want to make certain features, which are basically just there to make the story hold together, we want to make those really significant and hold, hold a lot of meaning. However, that would be a big mistake when it comes to interpreting a parable. One of the most important skills in uh, understanding parables is to really pay attention to the key that Jesus gives. Uh, sometimes, when we're in luck, so to speak, uh, Jesus will finish a parable and then say, and this is what this means. So prime real estate has to be given to uh, when Jesus says A equals B. We are on very certain ground when he does that. Afterwards, uh, after Jesus' direct uh, identification of the symbolism, uh, the most important thing to pay attention to in interpreting a parable is the overall context. The setting in which something is given will provide a whole lot of information for understanding exactly what's trying to be communicated. And in the parables in front of us in Matthew 13, these are all about the kingdom of heaven. Now, Matthew has said quite a bit about the kingdom of heaven, so it'll be important for us to set the stage properly and be reminded of uh, what we've learned so far about the kingdom of heaven. It's been announced by John the Baptist, as well as Jesus, that its advent is near, and with it, people are called to repent. Now, you remember when John announced the kingdom of heaven's arrival, he said that, that when it comes, it'll be like a, a fiery day, and the one who comes after me will scoop up the wicked and will throw them into the fire. Uh, after John's proclamation, uh, we saw the kingdom proclaimed in word and deed in chapters 5 to 7 and 8 to 9, respectively. Uh, Jesus' miracles are best understood as signs of the kingdom. And then we learned about the 12 being sent out to present the kingdom's proof through their miracles and exorcisms. But Jesus also warned them that as they demonstrated the kingdom, that they should expect to experience a decent amount of opposition and persecution. We're then told very significantly about John being in prison, and he certainly struggled with kingdom confusion. Now, Jesus affirms that John was the forerunner and that he himself was uh, the coming one and that the kingdom has, in fact, arrived. 
the prophecies, for example, in Isaiah, actually were coming true right then and there. Now, this was reinforced a couple episodes ago when we went through chapter 12 uh, with the casting out of demons as proof of the kingdom. Uh, Notice again, chapter 12, verse 28, where Jesus says, If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, he doesn't just say that it has potentially come upon them, but it actually did come upon them. The old rulers of this world are being evicted, that is, the demonic forces, and God's reign is taking over. So what we have so far in Matthew is this balance of an already and not yetness of the kingdom. In some ways, it was present, but um, contrary to what John expected, it wasn't there in all of its ways. Now, this may seem kind of obvious for a lot of us, but it would have been terribly confusing for people initially going through it. Now, the understanding of exactly what's going on, sort of here but not fully here, um, would have come slow and required a lot of perseverance. And that was the interpretation that I suggested in our last episode about the parable of the sower. Imagining that uh, we are coming to all of these parables with this understanding that the kingdom would come all at once, and yet Jesus is trying to untie that knot for us and add another layer of complexity should make these parables kind of come alive. Now, uh, what Jesus is doing is here is he's interacting with old revelation. And one of the key principles for understanding the progress of revelation is that newer revelation never contradicts older revelation. Uh, Very often, it complicates older revelation by adding a whole lot more, well, new stuff. But it never goes back and says, yeah, what Isaiah said, that was wrong. Uh, If someone does that, then they're disagreeing with God's word and then are a false prophet. But instead, instead of saying that it's contradicting, we can say that it's complicating um, older revelation. So with that said, let's look at Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. He presented them with another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a person who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the plant sprouted and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. So the slaves of the owner came and said to him, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? And he said, An enemy has done this. So the slaves replied, Do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, since in gathering the weeds you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I will tell the reapers, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat into my barn. And he gave them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown into the greatest garden plant and becomes a tree, so that wild birds come and nest in its branches." He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all the dough had risen. Jesus spoke all these things in parables to the crowds. He did not speak to them without a parable. This fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will announce what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into his house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the people of the kingdom, and the weeds are the people of the evil one. 
An enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. As the weeds are collected and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin, as well as all lawbreakers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The one who has ears had better listen. This parable sounds very familiar uh, to what John has said earlier in uh, chapter 3, the winnowing fork being in the Messiah's hand and so on. Now, again, the idea is not that Jesus is saying that John was wrong and that uh, the idea of fiery judgment will never happen, but he's nuancing it. He's saying that the kingdom, uh, the kingdom's arrival does not necessarily require the immediate judgment of the wicked. Let's think about it this way. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the book of Daniel and um, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. He sees this big statue with the head of gold and the, uh, the, the shoulders and the arms of silver and so on. And then what happens next is a giant stone comes out of heaven and smashes that statue and it grows to fill the whole world. Well, this is a good description of the way that Jewish people at the time thought the kingdom of God would come. God would arrive, set up his kingdom by smashing the world powers and the wicked would be judged. But Jesus is explaining that's not the way that it's going to work. Um, again, he's not contradicting, but he's complicating the picture, saying that uh, the kingdom must go through an initial phase in which the, the, the wicked are allowed to coexist with the righteous. And for the people listening, this would have been absolutely revolutionary, completely different than what they would have expected. Uh, notice that this is also reinforced not only with the uh, parable of the, the weeds and the, the wheat, uh, but also with the idea of something being planted small and then growing into something big with a mustard seed, or the little bit of leaven which starts off small and then spreads and eventually becomes much bigger over time. Again, the idea is the kingdom of God does not just take over all at once, but it has uh, small beginnings and, and grows over time. It may even be helpful to think about the cross of the Lord Jesus as the planting of the kingdom in a sense. Uh, and you think about the smallness of what happened. It wasn't a complete takeover, but he died in humiliation and smallness and, uh, in, and in nothingness, but it has grown and will continue to grow and one day will completely take over. Now the implications for the listeners are then spelled out starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that a person found and hid. Then, because of joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he had found a pearl of great value, he went out and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was cast into the sea and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, they pulled it ashore, sat down, and put the good fish into containers and threw the bad away. It will be this way at the end of the age. Angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They replied, yes. Then he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and old. 
Now, this last little mini parable that Jesus tells emphasizes something that we've been talking about so far uh, regarding the uh, importance of progress of revelation. There are some ways in which uh, there are elements of continuity and discontinuity. In some ways, things are the same. We're, we're never allowed to say that Isaiah is wrong and Jeremiah is wrong. We bring out things old, but it's also important to bring out things that are new to further complicate and bring greater clarity uh, with what has already been revealed. Uh, the already and not yetness of the kingdom is important to understand in these parables, um, Jesus emphasizes, because it reinforces the certainty of judgment. He says it's it's like a, a net that's thrown out into the sea, and right now there's good fish and bad fish, and they're wriggling around all together, but one day judgment actually will come. This reinforces the need for perseverance. It means that we uh, need to see the situation with the eyes of faith. Now, there are different ways that people have taken these parables. Um, some have said that God is the buyer, and we are the thing that is bought. Uh, other people have said that we are the buyer and the kingdom of God is the thing that is bought. Uh, let's situate this in its overall context. Again, we're talking about the kingdom of God and how it is hidden. There is this mystery phase in which the wicked are allowed to coexist with the righteous, and yet the kingdom is still there. Uh, the kingdom is valuable, but comes at a price because it's only partially here. Now, for us, this means the call to discipleship will have its difficulties. Again, because the weeds are still here with us, but these are only temporary. And one day, the value of our investment will be obvious. Now, notice that this kind of more general approach doesn't necessarily rule out a reference to Christ. If ever there was someone who made a great sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom and suffered under the tension of the already and not yetness of it, enduring persecution because of the weeds like Herod, Caiaphas, and Pilate, it was the Lord Jesus. Uh, but in this regard, uh, he not only suffered for us in order to acquire us, but he also suffered for us as our example, paying the price that we also need to pay. Whatever difficulties the tares or the weeds might be causing you, uh, know that the kingdom of God is worth it. And one day, any sacrifices you are going through right now will seem like an obvious investment, like buying a field only because you know of the great treasure that lies hidden in it. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash 